You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change. Siobhan Montoya-Lavender, um, memeologist here at Nori, and also at Thanks a Ton, which by the time this airs, your new website will be live. That's cool. Yeah. hey Yeah. I'll link to that in the show notes. Thanks a Ton is super cool. Why don't you tell people about that if they've never heard of it before? Sure. Yeah. Thanks a Ton is a website that we built for gifting carbon dioxide removal because we have the assumption, the unvalidated assumption that people want to gift carbon dioxide removal. So we'll, we'll see. We've been in operation for just about a year now. So we're still pretty brand new. And we also try to make like fun content and make it fun and lighthearted for people and kind of take away some of the whole... Most people interact on a personal level with carbon removal in terms of buying offsets, like offsetting your flight or offsetting. And we're kind of like, hey, nobody really wants to do that. And people don't. And what if we get people to do, interact with it on like a more lighthearted, fun level? And so we're like, well, let's gift it. Yeah. yeah. Really, it was just Dr. Cara Maisano out of Paris. One day was just like made a pun and jokingly said, we should start a company on this. And then Laura Kadiyama and I were just like, yeah, let's do that. And then, and then we built it. Kara's like a proper scientist. What's she doing monkeying around with e-cards and gifts? I want to ask right? her that. <laughs> she is a proper scientist, but she is the one that has the wackiest, best ideas, man. Like she just comes <laughs> up with funny puns and funny little like, yeah, she's got a lot of humorous ideas. She's also your watchdog, isn't she? Like, actually, this isn't quite correct <laughs> she is yeah so she's she's the one that if i ever make like a meme that clearly has like a scientific tilt i always have to run it by care to be like is this a funny and b does this come across really stupid to a phd it's like what's the line when you have to choose between the truth and the legend print the legend god what is that quote do you know what i'm talking about but i think if you have to choose between <laughs> science and funny for the purposes of a meme you print the funny Right. You print the funny. I mean, I don't know because I want people to understand the science. Like, I want people to, you know, I don't want to, I want to spread misinformation. Well, okay. Well, I mean, within certain bounds, then yeah. Uh, like, what's an example? This here? is like this is like our your uh, install the sorbent upside down joke, you know. And yeah. all of us were like, "Do you install sorbent?" I was like, "I have no questions. idea." Some of them probably do. I guess the only doubt. But I feel like that's low risk. That's low risk misinformation. <laughs> I hope someone would see it and be like, hey, that's not how it works. And then you'd be like, well, that's part of the joke because no one, no one actually knows unless you're really close to it. I think the only DAC I've interacted with in real life was Klaus Lackner's moisture swing. I saw that in at ASU several years ago at this point. Um, oh, that's cool, though. You got to see that live. Yeah, but I don't think you could install it upside down. So I think... Uh, I think I just made that up as like a funny thing, but no one thought that was especially funny. That one always cracks me up whenever we reference it. But I feel like the universe, our audience has told me multiple times, no. I'm like, seriously, though, are you sure you wouldn't like to reconsider? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yes, stop trying to tell this joke. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's going to land someday. I'm on your side. <laughs> we just keep making There's like the, have you ever seen that curve for family guy jokes where it's funny and then they keep doing it and then it's really unfunny and then they just keep keep doing the same joke and then it becomes funny that's like the curve that they're trying to hit 
Well, I like think to, there's legitimacy to that. I think that can actually happen. I think so. There's definitely cases where you just keep like beating a dead horse and then it becomes like, okay, it's funny again. We've made it through the trough. But this joke wasn't funny to start except to anyone except for me. And it's for me that the wave of it is funny. Still pretty funny. Again, it's still funny. <laughs> there's like no dimensionality to it. It's just linear. <laughs> Yeah, you're just, you're just measuring from the back end of the wave only, you know, and then it just yeah, that's right. That's basically how I'm <laughs> judging my memes, which is good. I think if, if it doesn't make you laugh, I don't know how it's supposed to make anyone else laugh. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I should at least like chuckle, you know, like not at all. Some some memes, it's like laugh out loud, and then some memes, I go, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, those can be good. Those are like we even call those like ticklers, where you're like, aha, I'm tickled by this. I'm not yes, out of control tickled. laughing at it. I'm amused. Yeah. <laughs> That's like an intellectual yeah, response to humor as opposed to just like cracking up. Have you had any ones oh, that have really cracked you up recently? The ones, I don't know, let me pull up my thread. What have we done recently? Dude, the Lisa Frank ones you made, really I thought were really, really good. Have we deployed those yet? By the time this out? airs, which we're recording this, I think a week ahead of time. I don't know. Maybe we should even talk about the show. I didn't introduce myself, by the way. I'm Ross Kenny and I'm one of Nori's co-founders. Hopefully... Or presumably, you know that if you're you're listening, but maybe this is your first episode and don't know, but that's me. We're just goofing around, talking about memes and not trying to do every show be a serious interview topic. I think it's fun to, like, what are the shows that we've been referencing? Smartless is one that mm-hmm. you've been talking a lot about. Playing fast and loose, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ace is not here right now, but we'd like him to come back. But we want to have a sort of meme meme lab writer's room regular podcast series the thesis of this as far as i have encapsulated it is that uh humor is unrepresented people having fun and carbon removal i feel like it can be a a little bit stiff i don't know is that unfair do people goof around more than than maybe meets the eye no i'd say i'd say that's fair i don't know people tweet us if you disagree but i'd say that yeah in general it's a pretty you know, serious, or if it's fun, it's like more of like a techie. F- I don't really know. I don't know how to to articulate the vibe of the carbon removal industry, partially because it keeps evolving. You know, it's it's a rapidly evolving community and niche topic. And so, but no, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of humor in there. Might just be a size thing too. There's not that many people around. We have a couple thousand people who follow uh, carbon removal means for climate restorative teens, which if you haven't followed on Twitter, it's also on Instagram. There's a hunger or maybe even a thirst, some might say, a thirst for jokes relevant to a carbon removal audience. We've had strong responses. People seemingly want their industry reflected in this way. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did just post one of the Lisa Frank ones. I don't know if people get the kind of the juxtaposition humor that we're going for here. Yeah, it might be. If you're of a similar generation as Siobhan and I, almost certainly remember Lisa Frank, the like the dark contrasting captions with Lisa Frank images as a that's a like a deep internet culture thing. I don't know how deep that is, but it's certainly an internet culture thing. <laughs> perhaps it's a, yeah, perhaps it's a shallow internet culture thing. And as some of the ones I've gone for have been like we did recently the uh I love the the kid, like the high school band kid uh, with the clarinet from marching band. They said I could become anything. So I became a god, yeah. <laughs> which that's, I became a carbon remover. That's got to be one of the oldest. Yeah, I know. That's like an easy one. We're like, all right, let's I'm like, should we bother swapping that clarinet out for something else? Like maybe stick like what? 
<laughs> our like crappy DAC facility <laughs> macro. <Yeah. laughs> that's like that's my go-to. I'm just like, just put the DAC facility in there. Well, it's just so recognizable, you know. It's like I don't know if like a lot of people are gonna see like a paralysis machine and be like, that's it. You know, that's I know what you're talking about. No, there's not something like a solar panel or a wind turbine that's just like so obviously itself and you know what it stands for. Carbon removal. It's yeah. like what if there's like a yeah biophysical process in the <laughs> in the uh, shallow seas and it drifts down to the bottom of the ocean? There's not a like the visual grammar of that is not known. It is an unknown, yeah. inscrutable thing. So By the way, I think I just called it a paralysis machine, and I do that a few times. I've noticed. A paralysis like, I, machine. I, yeah. I want instead of because paralysis and paralysis are so similar. Do you ever, I've had people, oftentimes it's people who are new to carbon removal, but they've said carbon renewal to me a number of times. Oh. Have you ever heard someone say carbon renewal? I have not, but I feel like that's a similar slip to what I just did where it's like, it's similar enough <laughs> that, that you can make that mistake easily. Have I you? mean, to be fair, I don't think we've done a good job as a community really articulating our vocabulary, you know? Yeah. Some of the words are maybe just inherently off-putting. I was uh, disc golfing with some friends a while ago, and one of my buddies is a geologist, and he brought a colleague along. And he was saying that he typically works with an office not in the town in which he's working. This is a dumb way of saying it. So he lives in Phoenix, but he works with an office from where he moved from, which is like Oklahoma or something. And so he's like, yeah, I don't really work with with your friend, though. I'm oftentimes working alone over here. I'm like, I'm like, ah, oh, what kind of work has you sequestered? He's like, what? <laughs> I'm like I just I, mean, I didn't even like miss a beat. I'm like I'm like why do you work alone? <laughs> just like immediately. <laughs> it's like, sorry, I don't know why I had to say it in such an obnoxious way, but I did. There's a line oh, from I like that. I'm going to use that now. My buddy saw that and he loves. Did you ever see Burn After Reading? No. John Malkovich is like an alcoholic who gets fired from the CIA and he decides to work on his memoir. And there's a running joke from that movie where he's like, I'm I'm writing a memoir. People are like, what? Because he's like saying it in the French way. Uh -huh. memoir. memoir. So some of my friends sometimes call me that because they're like, I'm, I'm working on a memoir. And like the sequestered was clearly a memoir moment. I was like, damn it, that is me. I ruined it. I, that's who I am. <laughs> <sighs> but anyway, sequestration is an ugly, weird word. Removal it has like a negative taking away quality to it. It sticks in the mouth yeah. too. It sounds like renewal too. Like people... So, what, so that's what you're saying, right? Is carbon removal doesn't have that something yeah, to it? Yeah, we don't have like a refined lexicon yet. I mean, yes, we have lots of terms that we use and and little by little, I think we're refining them. But I think, yeah, like there's not, I mean, still, I think we're struggling between people understanding CCS and CDR, you know, like right there, that's that's a challenge for people. And then, yeah, just getting getting our vocabulary clean and locked down. And again, like it's a niche burgeoning industry. So like, I don't think this is abnormal. Um, but I would say that we could do a better job as a community picking our words and then consistently using them clearly with kind of more of a lay audience. What's even better? I like some of the moves towards, I feel like I've seen Klaus and others say this for a long time, but focus in terms of years of carbon stored or carbon storage. Is mm, that, yeah. is that better? It's like one of those things where maybe scientists think it's it's more accurate to the layperson. Is this a helpful thing? Who are we trying to be more accurate for? Is it the hoi polloi? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like who, like who is the audience? Cause I do think there's like an academic CDR audience and then there's just like a, we need people to be on board with CDR. And so that we need them to know what it is and let's tell those people what it is. And then sometimes I, I don't think we do the best job of like clearly explaining it. And we, we mingle terms that are academic with, you know, yeah. Do we want to say carbon removal and storage or do you want to say carbon removal and have that indicate that it also includes storage or, yeah, there's, there's some work to be done there. Definitely. So parts of it have a bit of a gatekeeping element to it too, where I see sometimes people, even I feel it in my own heart too. I'll see someone or a new organization devoted to carbon removal in some way. And I'll be like, weekender, where did you come from pontificating on this? <laughs> but I remember like going back and reading some of the stuff I wrote or said early on in Nori. I remember having a meeting. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I remember pitching like Nori will be successful because we are trying to make sure that people can make money from doing things that are environmentally positive, which I still think that's a fine thesis. I think if you could marry those two things and it genuinely added up would be quite Mm -hmm. powerful. But I remember treating this almost like it was a new idea, but clearly that was a big part of carbon markets from the very start. Um, This is not (laughs) some sort of genius that I remember presenting it to someone who was extremely seasoned in this space. And in hindsight, I wonder if they were just being nice to me. I'm like, wow. If it works, that'll be really, really amazing. You're also <laughs> 40 years late than people yeah. trying to do this. So the details of this matter is basically, I think, what they were trying to tell me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Oh, I think sweet, that's fair. Sweet summer child as a younger, <laughs> as a younger me. Naive. I know. When, when do we all become kind of like seasoned and jaded within this industry? I don't know. But I think there is a moment in which you get in, you're like, holy crap, carbon rule is so cool. And it is. That's the thing. It is. Like, when you don't know about carbon removal and then you discover it, it's so amazing and exciting. And, you know, I think it's really easy to dive headfirst. And then I think at some point we all, I don't know, read the IPCC report or something and get a little jaded. I know. Oftentimes with this stuff too, I feel like quite a dilettante. Or I think I've told this story before. I think we've talked about it too. Someone described me as a carbon removal expert once. Do not come to me for the latest study. <laughs> Go to Kara. She's the one you want. Go talk to Jane Flagle. Yeah, but think about it. Like, it's all, like, it's such a a young niche industry that, like, you know, I respect the hesitancy around accepting the title. But at the end of the day, you've been in this industry longer than, I don't know, 90% of people in this industry. Just sheer inertia because I'm allowed to do the dumb stuff that I do uh, for years. And no one's got on yet that I'm just making podcasts and memes and somehow have a job. If I get asked by people younger than me, or I've, I've presented at like universities or places that have asked me to speak, like, what advice would you have for younger people? I'm like, I feel incredibly lucky. Just bet on luck, basically. It's, <laughs> I got miracled into a career I had no business being in. I guess being a generalist means you're flexible, being curious, having different skills. But uh, I have no way of predicting this would have happened. I don't know that I have replicable yeah. life advice at all. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe this is like self-congratulatory because I, I think I'm in a similar field to you, but I do think there is an essential role for, I don't know, for lack of a better term, kind of like carbon communicators and just people that are are just making the space feel accessible and are distributing information, you know, so I think podcasting, yeah, you could argue like, what am I doing? I'm just having a podcast about this, but I personally know multiple airminers that found carbon removal in the air mining community 
through the reversing climate change podcast. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. Stuff like that is always value add value add. Yeah. I'm always really excited. Is there additionality to that though? Would they have found it? Did I not exist? What's the counterfactual? <laughs> they probably would have just gone to the, the next podcast and then be like, oh yeah, carbon removal. <laughs> I, I think you have a tendency of telling me I'm being too hard on myself sometimes and I'm, I'm hamming it up for the purpose of, of goofing around, but uh, it is a warm <laughs> feeling. I like, I like when people appreciate the show or it makes them laugh or think, or those are always super rewarding. Hopefully is this going to do that? I don't know. We're going to see Siobhan. I don't know. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know. It's like, do you want, it's like, do you want to spend time in carbon removal, but not seriously? Do you want to just like be around carbon removers and just adjacent discussions? Is that, is that know, a thing? James, Yeah. Are you? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you want to replace the other, you know, humorous podcasts in your life with carbon removal instead? I know. Perhaps you do. It's kind of a crazy <laughs> idea, isn't it? You're like, you don't want the super like uh Naeem Merchant has had a show come out. Like, do you want to do, do you want to do that? Naeem, we're coming for you, but <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We love Naeem. He's terrific. The more, the more good carbon <laughs> removal content, the better. Honestly, it's, it's good. I just said and that his is time some ago. of the best. Yeah. Some of the best. Yeah. But do you want, so, so this is the kind of episode where you don't want that. You're saying no to Naeem, <laughs> no to Naeem. And then, but you also don't want to go on and listen to true crime. You don't want to, you don't want a grisly murder and you don't want Naeem. So this is what you There's so many assumptions about the audience. (laughs) I feel like I I would love the stats on this. I feel like true crime podcasts are like 40% of all podcasts, maybe more. There's a lot out there, man. They're like, wow. I just made this There must be an appetite though, right? There must be an appetite. I don't personally listen to them, but there must be an appetite because there sure are a lot. I feel like sometimes my self-knowledge is not always so strong. And one proxy that I use uh, for evaluating how burned out I am is what I'm listening to. And I can tell the more travel books there are in my listening. I'm like, oh, cool. I listen to a book right now called Canoeing the Congo of a guy. Yeah. But I've also already listened to like two others doing the same thing. So I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'm, I'm tired. And then last week i started listening to some true crime stuff i'm like oh god do i need a vacation am i okay ah so that's your barometer for knowing if you're burned out or not what's my podcast cue look like yeah seriously i feel like that's i feel like if it ever gets into whenever it gets into like horror or like survival stuff then i'm like okay i really i'm done i need to take a week off i'm like which um like badly written zombie apocalypse saga haven't i listened to all right there you go. So where does this where does this content fall? Is this are we then producing the I'm not burned out content? <laughs> are we producing the Friday afternoon? Maybe I'm burned out from work, but I just want to laugh at carbon content. Yeah, I think this show should be something like Friday happy hour with your colleagues within the carbon removal industry. Or it's a nice vibe. I like that. Yeah. So there's there's gonna be some discussion, but I don't think it should be always so utilitarian or so tightly focused on imparting information like i love carbon removal newsroom that's probably my favorite podcast that's out there and the quality of the info i think is really high and there's nothing else quite like it well i literally take notes though during that podcast i kid you not like i will take notes during that podcast you're absolutely right like the brain power on that show is intense and um i have to rewind it a lot you know like i'll listen to one section i'll be like wait a minute I didn't quite catch that. I was like, Go oh, back. Crap. I was driving. 30 seconds. I was driving during that. What was that? 
part there. I can go back and check it out again. But uh, okay, so not that and not true crime or some horrible <laughs> like filler. Those are only yeah. options. <laughs> yeah. Or true crime. God, there's some there's some Michael Scott thing where he's like, it's this or it's this. And there's literally nothing in between. And you're like, <laughs> oh, there is. Let's find that and make a meme of it to go with our plethora uh, of office names. So many of those pitches come from, and oftentimes I'll remember, a, I was thinking of a peep show quote I really liked the other day, which was him, the protagonist watching a, a couple fight and he wants to hook up with the the girl of the couple. And he's like, stop literally rubbing my hands, <laughs> like watching them fight. <laughs> and I was trying to find like, could this be like, if they announced that there was new funding or a new opportunity for carbon or just, or just the, uh, the IRA getting, moving along through. Uh, hey, yeah. Stop literally rubbing my hands, carbon removers. But a lot of times you're like, even if I could find the right image and caption, uh, is this reference just too obscure? Like, does it do, do anything? Are you the conquistador of the useless? Uh, is it called Werner Herzog? Yeah, so that's me. The Werner Herzog of memes. You heard it here first. <laughs> the struggle is real. The struggle is real, yeah. Yeah, I wonder how this is going to go. I wonder what's going to happen when Asa is here. We're going to try and do this with with Asa around. So yeah, but we're able to carry it mostly just because we're buds, and it's just like talking yeah. to a friend with it. <laughs> or we think we're, we think we're carrying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we think we're carrying. It. I saw a great meme about this too. That was like um, two comedians on a podcast, and the one guy was like, "We are literally modern day philosophers." And then the next panel was that person on stage telling like a joke <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was like like yeah that is podcasting does have a tendency to make you think you're above your station in a certain kind of way i do have things worth saying people should be listening to me by the thousands why not why not does it make you feel grandiose does it does it elevate your uh, your sense of self-importance based on the last 30 minutes i'm gonna say no no like most of it was making fun of ourselves or talking about our process of making internet <laughs> jokes. So, but hey, you never know. Maybe people want to hear this. Do you think of yourself as a modern day philosopher? Would not think of myself as a modern day philosopher now. <laughs> is it? Is it? Okay, we can edit this part, but just for point of okay. order, should we do this crow thing or should we not? I think we should, but I think it's going to have to come about organically. I think you're going to have to be. I feel like there's going to be a moment that we're going to be talking. For those of you that don't know, know, if this somehow makes it in, Ross is having some issues with some crows that we occasionally discuss at the writer's room. And it's actually pretty charming stuff and could make good podcast fodder. But I feel like it comes up organically, typically when I hear you say it. And then that's when it strikes me as the most charming. <laughs> Not when you just try to no. non-diagetically... Not when we force the crow insert, discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Time for Ross's crow saga. I mean, it's over at this point. It ended like a month ago. Oh, well, then we should talk about it. Then we should talk about it. We then should let's, talk let's about seize the, Let's seize the moment before it's too long past. I know it's receding. Tell people about what's happening with your crows. Receding distantly into my memory. Yeah. So uh, I, had, I had just a crazy crow experience recently, which I didn't know this is what happens, but uh, we keep chickens at my house. So um, I heard these crows cawing and they were on top of the chicken run fence and I came out to see what was happening and the crows didn't fly away. They were aggressively cawing and I made moves to be like, 
not that I would ever do this, like at a bar, you'd be like, what, what guy? And like, kind of like jerk your head forward and like throw your <laughs> arms up trying to scare these crows because they are super loud and there's a bunch of them. And instead of flying away, which they would normally do, they start cawing more aggressively and like swooped at me. And I like went from being super aggro to running like a, like a little baby as fast <laughs> out of there as I could being like, these crows are going to tear me to shreds. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, what the hell is happening? And uh, I was like, what's happening? Are they, do they think that they now own this yard? Do, do crows just have property? Do they think that they, that they're going to, sh- and I'm like, well, I can't let them just take over my yard. So I had to figure- take a stand somewhere, I suppose. Yeah. I'm like, do I have to fight crows or like get brooms or like, I don't want to hurt these animals or anything, but I also like uh, have a dog. And but then you have to think straight. But then you found out that the reason they were being so aggressive. Yeah, the reason are you trying to trying to force me along? Am I am I just really <laughs> leaning into this too much? <laughs> I'm moving the crow story along, but the okay. reason was because they had fledglings, right? They had a nest. Yeah. The next the next morning, I, I went out and I saw movement in our raspberry canes. And I was like, "What is happening over there?" And I saw two little crows like hop out, and then I was like, "Oh." There's like, there's baby crows. And apparently what happens is that baby crows, fledglings, they're called, when they come out of the nest, they can't fly. And it takes them like a week or two to get enough strength to to leave and fly away. So um, there's two sets of them, actually. There's backyard crows and there's front yard crows. And never the twain shall meet. They're, I guess, different parents. But for a while, they were like sitting on our chairs or like in our yard and on our lawn chairs. And eventually they moved up into a camellia tree. And we're just waiting. And then the crows would come down and feed them. But it got to a point where, like I was like, my, my dog has to go pee. I have to feed the chickens. I have to put them away at night. And the first nights of putting the, the chickens away, the crows did not appreciate it. They were like, really pissed that I was out. Did like, you just like grab the lid of a trash can and run for the chicken coop? Or what happened? <laughs> kind of. I was like, what am I going to do? So I had to took a broom out. And my wife and I are like trying to make sure, like, because they're all cawing super aggressive they're not like cawing normal cawing where you can like like hey i'm over here they're like mm-hmm. this guy here we're taking him down like like scare him away and so i had to like run in the coop the chicken run has tree cover so i know they're probably not going to be able to get down and and swoop me but even still they're loud and they're above me and it's pretty scary so like running back in and my kid also like the first day he has to catch the school bus and it's like, all right, I'm going to open the garage and we're going to make a run for it. And of course, we open it and the crows like alert. They alert all the other crows like he's here. And also the entire time I'm I'm freaking out because crows reputedly have great memory and can remember faces and individual humans. Yeah. So, and then I'm like, did I just permanently make enemies with birds who live near my house? Are they going to taunt me and swoop me and poop on me and do horrible things to me and my family forever? Anyways, though, there's a huge, I think it's a spruce or something, uphill from my house. And a bunch of them would be on lookout from, from there. But I got to a point where I was able to, like, talk to them be like, hey, I'm just headed over to the chicken run. Like, I mean no harm. And the crows were on the far side of the yard. And there was an invisible boundary where if I got too close, they would issue cause and let me know, like, all right, you don't need to go over there right okay. now. And we got to a point where I was able to to go to the chicken run. They wouldn't even alert the other crows when I would come outside. We could tell that we sort of understood each other. 
and uh, so you came to a truth. There was there was a level of of coexistence. Yeah, except we had we have a, a neighbor, uh, and she helped us out with the chickens when we were you know not around a little bit, and uh, she had to make her own peace though. So it was entirely specific to me. It wasn't like they made peace with everyone in my yard. They were just like he is trained. He knows what to do, and we trust this guy. But the new the newbie had to start from scratch, basically, where they were still swooping her and trying to let her know, like, don't mess with us. So don't mess with us. You know, I feel like there's going to be colleagues of mine that perhaps listen to this. I'm going to tell me what a bad ornithologist I am for not actually having, you know, knowing the fledgling dates and how long it takes before they fledge the nest and stuff. Because I used to work for like Caltrans and. Pacific Gas and Electric doing just this, going out and like finding nesting birds. What? No, that's cool. Like flat, yeah, and like GPSing the nest, and then you'd set up a buffer so that because there's this, there's a number of regulations you have to follow, but one of them is the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, and the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which is I'm pretty sure overseen, it's federal, but then there's also like some some regulatory oversight from the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And so we used to flag, and typically a crow's nest would be like a 50 foot buffer. I'd be like typically. Would you have to give them? That's true for lots of and like songbirds, lots of songbirds too. It's like a 50 foot buffer. So maybe you just reached the point where you were kind of skirting the buffer zone to get to your chicken coop. And they were like, this is cool. He's not infringing on our territory. I don't know. But again, I am not an ornithologist. I used to work with ornithologists and they would just send me out to do, you know, the menial labor part and observe the nest and take notes and whatnot and report back. That's a plausible theory, except once they were up in the camellia tree and were not on the ground anymore or close to the ground, then I could, I was only like 10 or 15 feet away. And even still, they were fine with it, even though I could run and jump and do like a Superman punch and hit, hit a crow, like if I wanted to, but they just knew like I, he, he's not going to do something horrible like that. The whole thing made me love and respect crows a lot. I, I ended up, at first it was terrifying. I was like, are you going to? Like they would dive bomb my dog, just trying to pee in the night, doing nothing to no one and <laughs> couldn't go in my own yard to being like, oh, this is actually kind of a transcendent biophilic relationship I have with another species where I feel like we understand each other. I like to think I see the the fledglings out. I think they're the same ones. And I now yeah. talk to crows like a crazy Probably. person. I'm just like, hey, crows, how are you guys doing? Hello. And uh, so I'm nuts I like now. That. I like that. No, it's not nuts. There's, you know, I, I always used to think I was succeeding as like a terrestrial biologist when I would work with these crews. And, you know, at first they'd be like really against the idea of any kind of like environmental oversight. I'm like, ah, what are these biologists doing here and making our jobs harder? But then I feel like a month or two into a project, every time, every project I've ever worked on, one, two, three of these like construction workers or, or you know, operators would come with a with to meet their phone and say, Hey, I found this picture, you know, like look, can you identify this nest on my property? And like, what should I do? I really want to like share it with my kids, but I don't want the nest to fail. So I don't want them to get too close and look at it and and have all these kind of cool questions. And and I think there is just like a natural human interest in wild species. And especially when they are kind of, you know, like coexisting peacefully with you. And you know, I don't think anybody wants to just like knock down a a robin's nest on a property or something. You know, I think people are genuinely have like, there's like an innate human interest in like, I don't know, in, in wild species and how they manage their homes. I think that's true. Except I remember reading books like Mark Twain and other things where they're like, well, we were, so we were throwing rocks at a cat and you're like, but what, 
<laughs> maybe that's just Mark Twain, man. Maybe <laughs> maybe Twain had a darkness in him. <laughs> I think it's just like, yeah, kids goofing around in the woods, be like, oh, we went out shooting squirrels. Counterpoint. But in general, I think, yeah, there's at least an, there's at least an interest in interacting, positive or negative. Surely we can say that safely. Uh, surely we can. I don't I don't know if that'll make it in, but that's Ross's crow story. That's my take. We had a, a warren of rabbits recently too. Yeah, we see coyotes in Seattle too. Well, there's like tons and tons of rabbits, which they keep eating my sunflower starts. Like, come on, guys. Can I Aww. cut a deal with you? But uh yeah, it's fun to have that nature experience in the in the city. Uh, I know it changes yeah. a lot once you're out in the countryside where you're like, damn deer keep coming back and eating all my saplings. There's not a lot of like, oh, look at the deer. It's like, get out of here. No, I think you're right that there is like a city versus country juxtaposition there of how we how we evaluate and appreciate wildlife. I had this experience recently where I, I went to, um, have you ever been to Cabela's? You know that place? No. I never thought of REI as being like a liberal city slicker institution for the outdoors. But then I realized they don't sell any guns. They don't sell any like hunting or fishing stuff. And then I went to Cabela's. I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, this is like quads, guns, fishing. This is like sportsman territory. REI is like for people in the city who like to go on hikes. And I always thought that they would be, <laughs> I never thought that REI had a political orientation in that way until you go to Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops and not that you can in Mexico. Maybe probably. that says something about me that I haven't been to Cabela's or, or Bass Pro Shops. It's funny to me that they wouldn't, they wouldn't try to hit all those, those marks too, but I, I guess they just know their customers and I guess they know enough to know that these people don't want to shop next to each other for the most part, or they're trying to interact with the same space in radically different ways. Or I guess, I don't know a lot of people who live in the city who want to go hunting and fishing relative to people in the country, right? I don't even know if there are hunting and fishing shops here in central Mexico where I live. I haven't seen any or none have been brought to my awareness. Not even fishing? I feel like you guys, I don't know. I know gun ownership is pretty constrained in Mexico, but I don't know about, do people fish? Is that really a thing? Um, <laughs> is fishing in Mexico? Wow. Like, <laughs> oh, Ross. This show really took a does that exist? Maybe, maybe Ross is burning out. Maybe this should be the barometer to understand your burnout level. I, yeah, I always have like a mark in shows too, where you'll ask like the worst question of the show, or you can tell, and then you're like, okay, it's time to cut the show and go back Damn a question, me. and that's where the ending was. <laughs> tell me about the fishing culture of Central Mexico. <laughs> it might be the one show that might be it. I think we've yeah, I think we've digressed far enough from the topic at hand was there a topic at hand i don't know it was pretty experimental and just conversation but whatever we told Fair a crow enough. story and we goofed around for 45 minutes is that is that a fine place to, to end it for now i think so next time we can hang with I asa think so. yeah yeah next time we can come join us asa yeah we miss you yeah asa we miss you i hope, hope to see you soon and uh, yeah thanks for listening thanks for hanging siobhan thanks for giving this a go my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. That sounded kind of flat. I don't know that you believe it, but okay. <laughs> if you like the show, give us a great rating and review. Tell a friend. Hey, thanks for sticking with us on us trying to figure out some new formats to do that, you know, bring something new to carbon removal. And uh, thanks again for listening. Bye for now.
Thank you so much for listening. If you could please subscribe and give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, that'd be much appreciated. It helps us get our content out to more people. You can sign up for our newsletter at nori.com, follow us on social media, and we will catch you next time.